Let me lead us in a brief word of prayer. I recognize the importance today of what I say and how it affects not only today, but the years to come. So let's just pause, take just a moment, and then you pray the prayer that is on your heart, and let me lead us in a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're here today to worship you. This is your church. It's not our church. This is your place to come. You're invited here. You're welcomed here. And we've gathered in your name, and because of that, we know you're in our midst. I pray you'll bless us here, bless those that watch on the Internet, those that watch on television, those that are listening by radio. We just know, God, that you right now seem to be focused upon this church again to lay before us an opportunity to have not only a major impact on our families at Sagemont and especially our students, but on churches around the world. I pray, God, that you will guide everything that I say. May it be in accordance with what you would want your people to know and to hear. And we rejoice in the privilege to call you Lord and have access to you through prayer. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. The title of the message is Envision. When you go out today, our students are going to be prepared to give you a book. You're going to see more about why that name was chosen. Envision. Impacting tomorrow, today. We gather today to prepare ourselves for tomorrow. Nobody knows what another day is going to bring. We know what the Bible says. We know the prophecies of the Scripture. But God has put his church on this earth and tells us to preach the word, live the word, share the word. Be a giver, not a taker. Go to the uttermost part of the world, not just across the street or across the dining table in your own home, but go to the world and tell the world that Jesus is alive and that he's coming back to this earth again. In most churches, whenever a vision comes upon the body, a lot of people get nervous. They wonder, well, what's going to be required of me? rather than what is my opportunity going to be. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where we live only for the right now and fail to see the future. With all of the prophecies of Scripture, we make a tragic mistake in our lives. 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, you have heard me quote it many, many times through the years. Listen to it again. For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of a people whose heart is perfect toward him. We sing the song, let others see Jesus in me. That's what it's all about. The world ought to be able to see who Jesus is and what he's about by knowing his bride, the church. And when a church ceases to be like Jesus, it ceases to be a church. The church and the Lord are one like husband and wife are one. The two become one. And so where one goes, the other ought to go. When one, which in our case is 
the Lord has a vision and tells the people what that vision is, then it's our responsibility to follow him. Understanding, and I want you to understand this early in the service, for those of you that for most of your life have been very, very fidgety if the word dollar comes up. If you hear it once every 10 years, you tell all your friends, all they talk about down there is money. Well, maybe that's the only thing you ever heard because when somebody talks about your dollar, you go crazy and oftentimes become introverted and selfish. So I want everybody to know right up front, God can get by without your money. And for those I just said that to, he has till this moment. (laughs) And he will continue to do so. He has already figured out to some of you, if you want to take a dollar out of circulation, just give it to them. And then the next thing to see that dollar will be their kids. You just hope their kids are walking with the Lord when they get it. But God's got plenty of money. Plenty of it. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the hills they graze on. If you don't know how much is that worth, go out and price some of it. And he owns it all. He owns the heavens. He owns the earth. And the Lord says to us, I'm looking for a people that will catch my vision. And if they ever catch my vision, I'm going to lead them where no one else has ever gone. I'm going to take them to places they never dreamed possible. I'm going to let them be the living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I'm going to let skeptic churches see that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is power. There is love, there is forgiveness, there is strength. And the list goes on and on and on. To have a vision is to see things as God sees them. We need to have a vision, number one, to see God's presence. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. If not, we need to make some adjustments real quickly. Number two, to perceive God's power. You know what the Lord says? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's the word of God. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And a vision is also the ability, and this is where we're going to take off now, to have the ability to focus on God's plan. God sets the plan. We focus on the plan. And wherever he leads, we go. Now that's where we are right now. At Sagemont Church, we now have before us a vision. This is not the first vision that the church had. On February the 28th, just a few months away, Uh, I will have been pastor of Sagemont for 54 years. We opened the door later, October. But I was called to Houston to come and be the pastor. And I looked at a vision out here of a rice paddy. It looked like a great place to go goose hunting. (laughs) There was ducks and geese everywhere. Our church next door asked if they could take some water off of our roof when we built our first building, built a pond right outside there. 
next door here. That was my office at that time. I talked with him. I said, I don't think you ought to do that. Because I said, as much as I like the goose hunt, I don't think you want the geese. They were going to build a retention pond to help the geese get to the south. Well, we're already south, you know. <laughs> but God has taken a rice paddy and turned it into an incredible part of the city of Houston. But God had a vision. And a people had a vision. And those people said on that Sunday, there were 50 there were 151 people walked inside the door of the chapel. On that day, 51 people joined the church, and there was one person who gave his heart to Christ, a little nine-year-old boy by the name of Kevin Morrison. If you don't know Kevin, you probably know his son, Jonathan Morrison, who is the missions leader of this great church. First service ever held. God had a plan to touch the world through this church. I want you to keep those thoughts in your mind. I want you to understand, as I go on here with the text in just a moment, briefly, I could take you on a drive today from Sagemont Church. Why don't we just start and head towards Galveston? Let's start, stop there at Hitchcock and go over and shake hands with Lee Bellinius. One of twin sons, his brother was a drum major at Texas A&M. His widowed mother raised those boys. Lee gave his heart to the Lord, surrendered to the ministry. He's the pastor of the First Baptist Church right here between here and Galveston. Let's go on further to Galveston and meet John Turner, who grew up in this church. And one of the most loving, committed young pastors that I know that have a group of people that are wanting to move forward on Galveston Island. Let's go across town to Fallbrook Baptist Church and meet the Penders, Michael and his wife. They rode the buses at Sagemont Church years ago. There's 4,000 people over there worshiping today. They rode the buses. She was on one bus. He was on the other bus. Went up to Chuck, I believe was the bus minister at that time, and says, I want to, on that bus, I want to marry that guy. <laughs> he put him on that bus. They're married. They got grown kids now and have one of the greatest churches in America. I've had the privilege to preach there some. It's predominantly a black church, and I love to preach in black churches because they don't go to sleep. <laughs> they stay alive. If you say, I don't ever go to that part of town, well, we can go over to First Baptist Magnolia Park. Milk Ochter's there. He's been there 30 years. Came through the student ministry of Sagemont Church. Came to know the Lord at Sagemont Church. Got a Christian education and moved forward. Listen. You need to stop and ask yourself, how big is your world today? You need, you need to stop and ask your, this is really a more important question. How big is your God? How big is your God? Is your God big enough to change you if you need to be changed? Is your God big enough to change those that you're not getting along with and you think it's their fault? Can God change them? How big is your God? He says, is anything too hard for me? No, no, not at all. Our problem is, though, and my last question is, how far can you see? Most people can't see beyond noon today. Right now, you're wondering, did I turn the stove on or did I turn it off? And what time are we going to be out of here? But there's not much future planning. It's kind of, instead of thinking about the sweet by and by, they think about the nasty now and now. And just focus on what are we going to do today. We live in a negative world. We talk about what is wrong instead of what's right. 
What is missing instead of what's in the present? What's ugly rather than what's beautiful? What's misspelled instead of what's spelled right? Are you one of those just love that? You can start reading and you turn to people. Look here, this word's misspelled. Well, the other 500 on the page were spelled right. Yeah, but I just like to find the ones that are misspelled. Some people can always pick out your faults, can't they? You could have a lot more virtues really than faults, but they sure do like to point out your faults. But that's our world. We like to talk about what can't be done. We're just a poor old bunch of Christians that meet here in Houston. We don't have a lot of money like all the other folks do. Listen, folks, we don't depend on people for money. We depend on God for money. The same God that finances this church are financing the missions meetings around the world today in Africa, India, China, Vietnam, Thailand, and on and on we could go. It's the same God. He says, my eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show myself strong in behalf of a people whose heart is perfect towards him. Mediocrity is not acceptable by God. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He is not one of the gods. He's the only God. He's not one of many kings. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. He is one. There is one God and one mediator, the Holy Spirit, that brings us to the Father. And so my position is, for whatever days that I have left, I'm going to believe God and let the world prove itself. We don't have to prove God. He's already proven himself. In two quick conversations this week, one last night with Barcelos over here, that I learned I haven't, still haven't found the article yet, but somebody that's real, 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 real smart and got the education from the what's now university, somebody's come up with an incredible fact. All of us came from one man and one woman. I knew that when I was five years old. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it. And Microsoft says we're getting the chips ready to put in you so that there'll be no buying and selling, like the Bible says, before the Lord comes again. You just walk up there, and they just point something at you. And if you hadn't got the chip, you can't buy or sell. That's already done on the news two weeks ago. Listen, the Bible is relevant, okay? But our goal is the church. Upon this rock, the Lord said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. I am going to flow my wealth. I'm going to flow my knowledge. I'm going to flow my spirit. I'm going to flow my love. I'm going, to, I'm going through the church to show what unity is like in the body of Christ through my church, the bride of Christ. And those that are married, men that are married say, you can talk about me, but don't talk about my bride. Whenever you criticize the church, you criticize the bride of Christ. We need to look at the church, and our church has always looked at itself. We've made many changes through the ages. I hope we're a much better New Testament church than we were when we started, and I know we are. But the point that I'm trying to make to you today is, if we forget our past and just mark it off, we're going to be confused about our future. Alexander Solzhenitsyn's speeches frequently reflected this one idea. Must one point out that from ancient times, a decline in courage has been considered the beginning of the end. I see people giving up. 
You can take a ride this afternoon. We can go around Houston, Texas and see closed churches all over this town. There was nobody in the parking lot nor in the building this morning of churches that were meeting 12 months ago in Houston, Texas, Harris County. And yet the Lord says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from doing it Satan's way and do it my way, victory's going to come. God has always and is now looking for people with a vision. Beginning in those years, 54 years ago, this church has had a vision. We didn't have much to work with. We had five and a half acres of rice field right here. But you can see what God has done. And for those of you that are our guests, this church owes nobody anything. We are debt free. And for those that are you that are staying awake until we pass the offering plate. For those of you that are staying awake until we pass the offering plate, we don't pass the offering plates here, all right? We're not begging you for anything except to give your heart to Jesus Christ and to let God use you to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. The best way I know to stimulate you towards a commitment to the future is to encourage you, and time will not allow me to go through the entire text. But I want to encourage you to go home and sometime this week read Numbers 13th and 14th chapter. Now, some of you know the story. Going into the promised land, the committee was sent out to check it out. It was a committee of 12. Ten of them came back and said, we can't take that land. It was the promised land. But we can't take it. That sounds like most churches. The only way we can do it is go down to the bank, borrow the money. That's not what God had planned. He said, I want to bless you with the money. Let me bless you, and you use it for my glory. God told those people, his first people, I am claiming that land for you. And the scripture still says to the Sagemont Church, no good thing I, will I withhold from you if you'll just keep my commandments. And the greatest, or one of the greatest of all, is train up a child in the way it should go. And when it is old, they will not depart from it. Something's wrong, folks. I've done a lot of research on this. The best figure you'll see is that 70% of our graduates this year will never go to church again. And others are saying 90%. We are losing our students. We are losing our young people. We have gone about doing things where we have not stopped to see, Lord, how can we do it better? How can we take these children? When we built the children's building, I tell all of our guests this, we built the children's building before we built this building by a unanimous vote. You know why? Because people go around and say, we got to take care of the children now because one of these days they're going to be our leaders. Beg your pardon. The Bible says the children are the greatest in the kingdom of God right now. Right now. thousand of them over there today. Some will be coming here in the next service. They're already there. So we say we're going to put the children first. Then we built this auditorium. It was paid for. Now we're focusing on our students. 
You say, but I don't understand why we're tearing down two buildings. We already got them. Come to a committee meeting, all right? You know, for a Baptist church, Dr. Vance Havner said, a church committee is a group of the unfit that are appointed by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. <laughs> he said, a camel was a horse put together by a church committee, all right? <laughs> well, we don't have committees. We have teams, and we got a good one. Our future planning team under the leadership of Steve Maricelli are some of the greatest minds in this church about what we're talking about. But all authority is given by God, and Harris County says you don't build those buildings anymore. They come down. Harvey was the last peg in the coffin. But when those come down, God's going to make it greater and make it bigger. Every day, even me, I drove by. You remember the land out here that we, that we bought between here and the corner? And we have, you say, what are those volleyball nets for? You know, what is all that sand out there? Well, that's a soccer field and a volleyball. We have volleyball and soccer out there. Okay. Yesterday, they put a fence around it so the kids don't run out in the street. So don't worry about that. Go look when you go home. We fenced them in. We'll keep them on this side of the fence. I know you say, well, mine will go over the fence. That's the reason we need to talk privately, all right? <laughs> But what we're saying is that we are not going to listen to these figures that our kids aren't going to church anymore. We are going to equip them for the work of the ministry before they ever leave us. We're going to teach our teenagers apologetics, especially the 12th graders. Yeah, what in the world is that? We're going to teach them to give a reason for the hope that's in them when some professor at some state school begins to tell them the, the five or six things that they learned about theology and that's going to be replaced because our kids are going to know what the Bible says and what the truth is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One man, one woman, and all that stuff that science is coming out with, it's in the book. And we have no reason to compromise the faith of our kids. So we can either focus or back away and praise God. We've made the decision to move forward. To repeat, when I first started off, we want to see God's presence, we want to see God's power, and we want to see God's plan. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study the word. Teach the word. Provide an opportunity for our students to be tutored and grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord from day one to today. Beginning with Brother Embry Gad. As I was getting ready to, uh, to preach this week, I thought about on Sunday night, and we used to have church on Sunday night. Some of you remember that? Training union and so forth. I'd look back there in the back, and here would come Susan and Emery. Newlyweds, they came in from another church, brought the Langstons with them. They sat back there. He worked for Delta Airlines. God got a hold of Emery's heart, and he planted the seed for what I think has been the greatest youth ministry in the country. You're going to be given some letters today when you go out the door from students from all over the world. You're going to hear the background of so many like Al Denson that's, that's literally sang to, to millions of people that grew up here, couldn't get his feet on the piano, came into my office, said, but I don't know if I'm going, to, I'm going to give my life to the world or to God. I said to him, I said, Al, don't give what God owns to the world. And he was arranging songs for our orchestra when he was 13 years old, and he sung literally all over the world. Read those letters from those students. Some of them have made it in government. Some of them have made it 
as lawyers, others as, as physicians, astronauts, whatever it can be, all right? But the point is, God wants to take our students and make them into what he wants them to be, and we want to do it here. And we want to get all of our church involved. That it would be a continual thing while the buildings are going up, and you're going to see the visuals here in just a few moments. But as the buildings are being built, we'll begin to pray, now Lord, now what, now what? We're going to take and look at the things that God has planned, and we're going to do exactly what he wants us to do. But now let me tell you something. God is going to be looking at every single one of us. Lord, what would you have me to do? What? I can't do that. The book says I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Well, I don't have any money. Well, there may be a reason for that, but that's for another day. But you know what? If you know somebody that has money, they may come over and say, I don't go to church, but why don't you put this in the plate? That's what they'll say. Why don't you put it in the plate? You'll say, we don't have any plates. Go ahead and take the money, okay? <laughs> and, and bring it and put it in the box. But as the Lord lays this door before us, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to catch the vision. I, I want you to think what it would be like if we can, can start and move forward and see God do exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask. I want you to make a, a covenant with God today that I will pray every day. That we will move on, on schedule. This building will cost, the estimate cost is $12 million. It will take over a year. We don't know. The, the quicker the money is in place, the quicker we can build it. But one of the things before you look at the movie that I want to share with you I've shared it with two people I've had only two visions in my life I think that were clear clear visions one was over here on my annex when I literally drove up and I saw and I know some of you say, this is weird for Brother John. <laughs> but I saw that as a, as a Safeway store could become a part of, of Sagemont. There's a story behind that, but it was a vision. The other one was when I was coming in on Easter Sunday morning and coming from the Galveston area and around the loop. And that morning we were praying all over the campus about this building. And as I came around the loop, I saw that cross out there just as clear as I'm seeing those of you on the front row. I came into my office, and I, I called Chuck and Jim Green to my office, and I told them, now, we're fixing to build this auditorium, okay? And I said, I've had a vision that we ought to build a cross out here on this freeway where a million people a week can see it because if we can't, if we can't get them inside the door, we'll at least, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And if you remember the story, we voted unanimously to build that cross. And it is the greatest impact to the community that there is from Sagemont in that way. A million people a week see it. That's a vision.
All right? God bless. Cross was paid for. This auditorium was paid for. God had money to build the cross and the auditorium. God's got plenty of money. He's just trying to find somebody with a vision that he can use it for his glory. So here's my vision. I told Emory and I told my new wife, Kathy. They're the only two that I've shared this with. But I had a dream the other night, and these two will go together before we show you the movie. I have a letter here that came to me a few days ago from Mission Dignity, which is assisting retired ministers and their spouses. Some of you are old enough to remember adopting an annuitant. My dad retired on $254 a month after spending 60 years in the ministry. If you remember years ago, a vision came to our denomination to start helping these retired ministers or their widows. It was introduced. Most churches said, we got all, we can't handle that. We need the money here. But Sagemont took a lead in that. I want you to, I want to read you real quickly. Dear Brother John, we're so thankful to you and the wonderful people of Sagemont Church for your Christ-honoring generosity since 1994 in helping retired ministers and their widows in need. To date, Sagemont has sent $1,827,454.51 in gifts from the church, and every cent has been used for no other purpose except to grant assistance for old preachers and their surviving or their a surviving spouse. I recall in 2000 when we were providing only $75 a month through what was then the Adopted Nuitant Ministry and Sagemont committed to help 142 of our recipients on a regular basis. Listen, no other church had ever expressed that level of financial leadership and it was just nine years later that Dr. Hawkins came to Sagemont on a Sunday morning and personally thanked Sagemont when you gave your one million dollars. And then it closes and says, there are 1,800 retirees that get a check now every month. Ain't God good? Ain't God good? This year, this year, come get the letter if you don't believe this, seven million dollars has been added to what we gave in the year. Year, seven million this past year was given. Other churches came on board. Listen, folks, if we can come up with a student ministry that'll change students, it'll be awesome. I'm not going any further with this vision, then I'm going to be as quick as I can. And I'm not going to answer my phone this afternoon, I don't think. I'm just going to go run. All right, I'm going to preach the next service and go hide. Where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> but here's my dream. And this is what happened the other night. Why didn't Sagemont take what they learned with Mission Dignity and begin and adopt a student ministry and help our parents get their kids in Christian schools and allow us to give whatever God would allow us to help? We have those. There was one on the stage right now that has three kids in college and seminary. To help them. To, to, and they would have to go to church. They couldn't get the money if they didn't have it. Faith, they'd be faithful in our student ministry when they're a senior. They begin to qualify. Then they go off to school. They got to be in church. They can't be at the 11 o'clock. I just do mine by osmosis or whatever. We'll put together the qualification. But the point is, 
We got to get our kids out of these institutions that are destroying them the first six months they're there. And I invited Stuart Morris here today. That man's been my mentor since I was a little boy. He's only 99 years old. Just had a birthday the other day. Founder of Houston Baptist University. My dad was on that board. I was on the board. I was chairman of the board. We've sent our kids, many of our staffs are graduates of Houston Baptist University. Even guys like Emory Gadd got educated over there, all right? <laughs> but there's, but there, our kids need to get in our Christian schools. But they're higher than state schools. Yes, they are. Let's do something about that. Imagine what it'd be like if our churches said, we're going to do what we can to get kids in Christian education when they leave here, not becoming alcoholics and drunks and pregnant and having abortions and all that because they think it's cool to go to the university of what's happening now. I'm not going on any further. I get to preaching. <laughs> but if you can see a vision like that, I can see people rising up and support, not paying their way yourself, but do like we do. Beth and I adopted two retirees from day one. We still do that today, and Kathy and I, and Beth all through her life. And we write one check a month that goes to one of those retirees. Think about it. We'll see what happens, all right? Now, watch. You're fixing to see the dream. You're going to see a lot of hard work. Before you even look at this, I want to thank the media team for all the work that they have done to put this together with our whole staff. But Ron Ingram and his people have worked incredibly hard. They even have it in three dimensions when you go out in the foyer. You can put on the goggles and look and just walk through. But would you just let me pray quickly and the camera will start rolling. It's nine minutes long. Look, see, and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Father, bless now. This is a moment. That is so important. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch. Sagemont Church is a different entity than most people experience when they come to church. The first word that always comes to my mind when I think about Sagemont is home. I think it's definitely built on transparency and just knowing that we don't have to be perfect or perform for these people in a sense. I have never known anything like Sagemont. The people and the love, I've tasted and seen what's good, you know, but it's, they live it out here. The teaching is great, the people love you, the food's great in the cafe, and on top of that, it's like, they make you feel at home. I have to say the number one thing that drew us to Sagemont is the solid biblical teaching that we receive. I think the core values, one of them that always stood out to me was being debt-free. Hearing the stories of building the church without having to go into debt was like, wow, this is pretty neat to be able to see that. It's a place where people can come and be comfortable and be safe, and they'll get the opportunity to grow their family the way God wants them to grow. stand in this spot that I don't remember September the 5th, 1966, when 151 people walked through that door for the first time. On that Sunday morning, 51 of those people made a commitment of their life to begin a work here at Sagemont that ultimately the ministry would reach around the world. It's time now to take off our hats to the past and our coats for the future. 
God has placed before us a vision. We have prayed, we have worked, and we're asking God to once again do a mighty work at Sagemont Church. It is a known fact that about 85% of students come to know the Lord Jesus Christ before the age of 18. Once they reach the age of 18 and more, it gets harder and harder for them to come to Christ. I believe that there's a sense of urgency when it comes to reaching this generation because there's so many things tugging and pulling for their identity. Everyone's telling you to go one way and like we're called to go the opposite way. Culture is kind of projecting on them to hide their faith and to hide who they are in Christ and how they have been made new and carrying out what discipleship looks like. And so our ambition is to help provide an environment for them to grow and to fulfill that call to be a disciple. See, just knowing Christ and being saved, that is good enough for eternal life, but you have a responsibility. Our vision statement for the student ministry is equipping students to multiply, to go out and to be disciples who make disciples. They have to be able to actively defend their faith. I believe that student ministry in and of itself is the place where people really become who they're going to be. I came to Christ, accepted my call to ministry in ninth grade, and from that point on I've never looked back. I think in the time of their life where they're struggling to find their place, they need a place that they can call their own. I think having our own dedicated space would give us a sense of stability. It'll give our students from ages 12 to 25 a place. It'll give them a space. It'll give them somewhere to belong. Through much prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit, our visionary team and ministry staff have identified the next phase of our campus master plan, a facility vital to the future of our congregation. We want our students to know what a Christian is and not only be one, but to go out and change the world to be more like Jesus. God is already bringing hundreds of students to our campus, and if we do what God is leading us to do, thousands are going to follow. Sagemont students will now have space, a place uniquely their own. Whether it's basketball or volleyball, nine square or gaga ball, our students will enjoy spacious outdoor recreational facilities, one they will be proud to invite their friends to for worship, discipleship, and recreation. A facility where students, day or night, will have dedicated access to all their activities. Inside, a central gathering space will feature comfortable seating, snack bar, and entertainment areas where students will enjoy a safe place in which to build lifelong friendships and discuss tough issues as they grow in their faith. So be ready for what God puts in front of you. With two full floors of space, our students and staff will enjoy a facility that includes state-of-the-art worship venues, individual classrooms, meeting spaces, and offices specifically designed to meet their ever-expanding needs both now and in the future. The cost of the 43,600-square-foot facility is $12 million. It is truly a God-sized project for a God who repeatedly tells us that He will provide all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Face it, we're in facilities that were built uh, 50 years ago that uh, satisfied the need then, but that's not the current need. We've been very intentional in seeing what our students enjoy 
All these things are going to be there for them, whether it's small groups, whether it's our student-led worship. We're going to be intentional on in putting the best that we can in there so that we can do the absolute best for the students and reaching students in our community. Brother John has always said, you've got to find your small church within the big church, and I've seen that be true in my life as well. But with my kids specifically, small groups to me is where it really happens. <laughs> small groups are probably one of my favorite things, honestly, because we get a chance to be transparent with one another. We're going to laugh together, or sometimes we're going to cry together, but it's that transparency level. The girls in my small group, I can open up to them about anything. And like, it's because I feel so comfortable with them and I know they're not gonna judge me because you know, they're going through similar things or, and so it's like a very, very safe place for me. And so we're ambitious about providing that environment for them to share and to ask questions and to have personal time with their leaders. We are so excited because we're gonna have adequate space to have enough small groups so they can shut the door and they can have real conversations with real ministry happening. We've built a tremendous facility for our children. We call it Adventureland. We've built a tremendous facility for our adults in this worship center in the new building we're in. I do believe it's time to step up to the plate and build a tremendous facility for our students. Throughout the month of December and into the new year, Sagemont members will be challenged and encouraged to discover the will of God in their lives. The construction of a new student facility involves materials, land, and money. But first and foremost, it involves spiritual awakening. And that's what I'm praying, that people's hearts are burning within them to be a part of this new legacy for Sagemont Church. We always talk about the next generation. Well, this is the now generation. They're the ones that are gonna be the future leaders of Sagemont Church of this world. We have to start pouring our resources and our time, our effort, energy into these individuals. And this building, I know, will provide a place uh, for these students to take what they're learning and not just keep it here at Sagemont Church, but go out into the community, into the world, to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. There's no way I would be in ministry right now if it wasn't for the families that invested in me. I had the blessing of growing five kids up in this church and seeing how the church and the Lord can impact their life has really impressed upon my heart that we need to be sensitive to the needs of the current generation. God was a giver. You think of John 3.16, one of the first verses you, you learn for God so loved the world that He gave. You know, it wasn't that He spent or that He saved, but it was that He gave, um, and He gave sacrificially. So when you give time, talents, and resources, you are making a difference in the lives of these students, but also in the lives of our community and to this world, because that is what we're doing. This is our moment to hear His call follow His instructions and experience His power, His love, His glory. God is not asking us to do the ordinary. He's asking us to go far beyond that and to do the extraordinary. Envision God working in your life, in the life of your family in ways you can't even imagine. As together, we impact tomorrow today. Now I want you to join me in welcoming into the auditorium our students. They've got a gift for you. This is your first Christmas gift, all right? Come on in, young people, and let's praise the Lord for our student ministry that are uh, going to help us. Are y'all just going to stay back there? Or just come on in. Come on in. we got time. I've got two more minutes, so hurry. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Cody, wave at us. There's our fearless leader and Chuck, and we've got the finest team of student ministers. And uh, so, get in position. We're going to let, let you go here in just a second. Now, folks, 
don't, don't think I'm losing my mind. Don't say, how are we going to ride two horses at one time? Forget about that. Let's pray. Let's talk. Do we need to help these kids get a Christian education? That's where we need to be right now. If so, they say, well, I don't know. It's going to be a year. Well, what if God were to give us a building this afternoon? Could we talk about now what we're going to do with the students? Say, God, just let him be God. All right? Don't run out of here and say, man, I tell you, he's lost his mind. I don't know what we're going to do. Just be still and know that he is God. And he loves students. And he wants the world to hear about Jesus. Our students have got to be prepared to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. That's what this is about. God bless you for being here. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us now as we try to just pray and think. Our students, Lord, are so important. We're so grateful for them and for the leadership. I thank you, God, that we can just pray about something that's so important to you. And would you allow us to see your power once again at Sagemont. And may we be a spark that would get churches all over the nation to do what they can to get our kids in these Christian schools in their college and graduate years. Bless the seminary here at Sagemont Southwestern. Bless them with a holy blessing during this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.